I am not an innocent, not bystander. An innocent bystander. I am a threat, am a threat, to, my threat enemy. to my enemy. I am powerful I am and cunning. Powerful. I am strategic, I am strategic and, bold. and bold. I will not sit idly by. I will take ground. I will advance. I will tear through my enemy. And my enemy will hate me. I will not avoid the difficult fight. I will fight. I will be wounded. I will be targeted and I will bleed. I will not tire. My wounds will be healed. I will see tragedy. I will feel pain. But I will be restored. My feet will not stumble. My hands will hold fast. I will not be intimidated. Hey, we're in chapter 5, page 53, and the topic is salvation. You guys were listening to the open prayer. That's exciting. That's right. Salvation. Hey, why must I be saved? Because you're rich. That's really yes, I'm a wretch, Ruth. You didn't have to point that out. The Bible's clear about that, that we're all <laughs> falling short of God's glory. Uh, but uh, but uh, yes, that's been the problem, okay? We're cut off from God. Now, he's going to use a term, and I like this. And this is something that we're going to see, Lord willing, in our study tonight that I think is missing in the church today. We don't give people the impression anymore that they are lost, okay? I'm not talking a GPS device. I'm talking about salvation. Let's take a look at that. He says, I'm an avid hunter. Not me, the guy writing this, rather. Okay, but all yeah, I used to. But anyway, I love to be out in the woods, he says, and I marvel at God's incredible, complex, and beautiful creation. Top of page 53. For those of you still turning there. Uh, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to go to the mountains of New Mexico. Are there really mountains there? Hey, wow, you learn something new every day. Uh, to bow hunt for mule deer, okay? And although I did not harvest a deer, and the reason why is because if you put their heads too far in the dirt and you don't water them, nothing happens. Wrong kind of harvest, Tom. I know you're thinking that. You don't have your book tonight, so you might be a little lost, but I'm here for you. Okay, you betcha. Okay, uh, I didn't harvest a deer. I, I, I didn't get to. I had a wonderful time seeing God's creation. I also had a first-time experience that was not much fun. He ate chicken. No, I'm sorry. He got lost, Tom. He got lost. That, that, that is a logical conclusion, though. Uh, I, I, in, in my enjoying God's creation and looking for deer, I walked right out into the area of the woods that was familiar to me and suddenly realized I was what? Lost. Now, that never happens to we men, right? No, we don't need directions, right, Ron? Right? Bible says, Abraham, he left the Ur of the Chaldees not knowing where he was going. He didn't need directions. Hello. Okay, read your Bible. No, anyway, that's right. Uh, but anyway, he got lost. And he says, it was, listen, it was not until I realized my what? Lost state, okay, that I started to what? Look for a way out of it, right? You're just going along. You've been going along for hours thinking everything's hunky-dory. And until you realize, well, uh-oh, I'm lost. Then everything radically changes, doesn't it? Your direction, your purpose, your focus, your desire, everything. I got to get unlost. I got to find my way back to safety. This is, same, uh, is true in the spiritual realm, okay? 
And this, again, is what I think is missing today. We do not look for a way to get out of our lost state until we realize we are what? We're spiritually lost, right? It's common sense, okay? And this is what we talked before in the final countdown study in the rise of apostasy, if you guys were there for that, uh, that uh, we dealt with the, the church growth movement and things of that nature and the so-called gospel, which is a false gospel that is being presented to people today, okay? Uh, and that's something that we need to be concerned about. Okay, and you keep this theme in mind, I'm going to share with you, recap those four little things that I shared, that people, when they say, well, I'm witnessing to somebody, or I'm inviting them uh, to be saved. Really? What's coming out of your mouth? Is it giving people the impression that they're lost? Okay? And it isn't just you're lost. When you're lost, and if you don't get out of your lost state, like this guy, if he never found his way out of those mountains, what would happen? You would die, okay? You're dead, you're dying. Okay, and then spiritually, that's what our analogy is. If we're lost spiritually, we're gonna die and we're going where? We're going to hell. Okay, so that's bare bones gospel. That's salvation, okay? That's what people need to have. When we speak to them about uh, becoming a Christian, when we speak to them about salvation and how to be saved, we have to leave them with this impression, you are lost and there's a, pen- there's a problem with that. It isn't like, hey, yeah, guess I'm lost. Maybe I'll... I'm away. No, this is serious stuff. You're going to hell. Let me tell you the good news. You can get out of there. Somebody can save you. His name is Jesus. Okay, now listen, but here's what people are being told today. Hey, just believe in God. Right? Right? You just got to believe in God. You know, and if you do that, and, and, and uh, besides, uh, uh, maybe he has, a, he, he has a wonderful plan for your life. Yeah, God has a plan for us. Plans to prosper us as he talks there ultimately to Israel. Uh, to prosper us, okay, but where, where is any in that discussion? I'm not, I, I, hey, praise God, we've talked about this before. After you do get saved, you get truly born again, God does have a plan for your life. Right? He has a great purpose. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, he says he saved us to do these great things, these good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. It's awesome. God's got a great purpose for each one of us. But now you've got the cart before the horse. In your discussion, just saying you've got to believe in God, where's the, the sensation that, oh, no, I'm lost? Oh no, I'm in danger of eternal punishment in hell. So, so if people respond to that, what are they responding to? As we saw before, besides the demons uh, in uh, James chapter 2, believe in God, and they shudder. Are they saved? No, so is that really salvation that we're teaching these people? Okay, other people would say that, uh, you know, if you come to Jesus, uh, that he's like, a, he'll, he'll fix all your problems. You know, learn to be a better you. He's like a spiritual life enhancement. Okay, right? That's what's being preached today. And people come forward, okay, and they respond to that. But what are they responding to? In that, what I just shared with you, where is the sensation that the person is lost and if they don't get unlost, they are in serious, serious trouble? Okay, it rhymes with hell. Okay? Yeah, no. Okay, and again, yes, Jesus does great things after you get saved and he repairs your heart like nobody can. But... What are they responding to? Okay, is another one. Okay, and then flat out what we're seeing is really scary. Okay, and again, we saw last week, just keep asking yourself the question, why the cross then? And people would say, there is no such thing as a hell. You're not lost, don't worry. There's no penalty. You could stay lost, they'll say, in essence, forever, and you'll, you'll make it out of these woods guaranteed. Everybody's gonna make it there. It's not what the Bible says, right? So we have to be careful when we share, quote, salvation, when we, quote, we use all the Christianese we've seen before, uh, witnessing, what are we sharing with people, okay? And basically, am I giving that person the impression, like he says with this story, that I'm not just lost, right? Because a lot of people think they're doing just fine, right? 
I don't need God. No, you're lost. You, you just, you're lost. No, you're lost. And then, even if you can get them to say, well, yeah, you know, I'm kind of lost. You know, I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm not, you know, the perfect life. You need, the, what's the consequence? Do they understand the consequence? Well, that'll scare them. Well, praise God. First of all, is there a, is there a second hell? Well, if I, if I tell them about hell, I might scare them off. Where are you going to scare them off? Hell number two? No, but see, here's the good news. We're like, mm, tell them if they're lost. And, no, you, you, you deal with that, so then you can deal with the sweetness. Let me tell you how you can go to the exact polar opposite called heaven, right? But you've got to get to the uh, point where they deal with that state. I am a sinner. Okay, did you know that, Tom? Yeah, thanks. Okay, the Apostle Paul, he says, uh, in his letter to the church at Rome, reveals very clearly the state of the human race. This is why we are lost. We are spiritually lost. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, that's where he starts talking about the wrath of God is being revealed against mankind uh, because they suppress the truth about God's existence, even though it's plain in his creation. Uh, all the way to chapter 3, verse 8, Paul shows our desperate spiritual need and totally depraved state. He shows the need of the whole human race by condemning in order, first of all, as you can see, they're the Gentile, the non-Jewish person. And that's that first portion there. Listen, you know there's a God, but you're so uh, depraved in your state you, you, that, that you, even though you know God exists, you actually suppress the truth of that knowledge. They don't do that today, do they? It's called evolution. School, TV, the media, the whole, they do the same thing today. It's not just back there 2,000 years of Rome. It's being repeated today, okay? He says, you know, it's plain. The argument of intelligent design. If you won't believe that my watch with 12 moving parts evolved in a street uh, in the ditch over there, uh, and I just found it tonight on my way in here, and I'm convinced it happened as a process of random chance acts with wind and rain and erosion. A lightning bolt struck it at just the right angle, John. Wow, popped out this watch. If you wouldn't believe that, and I hope you don't, that's a watch with 12 moving parts. You're gonna believe our bodies with 50 trillion cells did? It's insane. That's what he's saying. He says, so it doesn't matter. You know, because they say, well, what about those guys that never had a copy of the Bible? What? Why to creation? Romans chapter one. They're still going to be held accountable. Okay. Number two, he talks about the moralist. The person who tries to live a good life. Well, I'm a good person. You know, I haven't murdered somebody. I try to pay my taxes. I don't beat my dog too much. You know what I'm saying? And uh, okay, you didn't murder somebody physically, but did you murder somebody with your mouth? And are you honest with your taxes? Okay. And, you, and on and on you go. I mean, you can't even make it through the Ten Commandments. And that's what he's talking about. You, you, listen, you're going to sit here and point the finger. Well, at least I'm not like that guy who's involved. Because after Romans 18, uh, chapter 1 there, continues on. It starts out, well, God gave them over. He gave them over to their sinful lust. He gave them over to homosexuality and lesbianism. And, and gave them over to a depraved mind. And, and so then, then comes the moralist. Well, I'm not like one of those people. He says, listen, you do the same thing. Sin is sin. You can't even keep the law. Maybe you're not involved in that sin, but you're involved in this sin. And then finally, he condemns even the Jew. And he says, oh, you, oh, so you got the law. You're the privileged nation who has the law there, right? But you don't even keep it, and you blaspheme the name of God because of your hypocrisy. So, so who's left on the planet? Nobody, right? And so that's what he says. He says, all of us, we have, we're condemned. We're in a heap of trouble. All of us, the whole planet is lost. And the problem with that is, unless we get unlost in time, and if we die... In this current law state, we are doomed straight to hell, okay? What is bad about telling people about that? I mean, put it in the natural. What if somebody, what if this guy, the author of this book, you actually did find this guy. You actually found him 
You peek over the, hey, who's that down there? It looks like they're lost in the mountains of New Mexico. You had a Jeep, you knew where you're going, okay? And you went up to the guy and you said, nah, he's gonna get offended if I tell him he's lost in these mountains of New Mexico. And then if, and then, then if, then if I tell him, uh, you know, that uh, if, if he doesn't come with me right now and be rescued, he's gonna die. Uh, he'll just, he'll get all upset and he'll, he won't be my friend. No, it'd be the most unloving thing for us to not point out his condition and say, dude, you need to come with me. Really, seriously, I can't make you. But you got to understand the condition you're in. You're lost and you're in danger. Let me rescue you. What, that, that's what we're doing when we, we share the gospel with people. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing more loving than rescuing somebody from such a horrible, horrible demise. Okay, is what he's talking about. Then uh, comes his, Paul's, grand finale of condemnation on all mankind as he quotes passages from the Old Testament to show man's pitiful state. Okay, now, uh, here's what he says. He says, as it is written, there is how many people on the planet righteous? None. Oh, in case you're doubting, not even one. I love Paul. Okay, uh, there is none who understands. Notice how many times he is absolute with this statement. None, no exceptions, no exceptions to the rule, nobody on the planet. I don't care about your supposed theory of the supposed innocent native who never heard of the name of Jesus, never had a copy of the Bible, who lived on some deserted island back in Timbuktu. Well, first of all, that's a misnomer that we've seen before because there is no innocent person. Case closed. Bible says all have sinned, even that native on whatever island or mountaintop, wherever you put them, right? So I could stop right there. But as we've seen before, everybody is not, not as, as Paul says, without a rag of excuse. You're not going to stand before God and say, well, that ain't fair, you're judging me. No, this is what we just saw, Romans chapter 1 and 2. That's the light of creation they're going to be judged by, okay, the light of conscience, okay, and then even people who uh, come up with those hypothetical situations, you tell them about Jesus Christ. So they're accountable either way, it doesn't matter. So there is no hypothetical, mythical person on some deserted island it's not true, okay? It's just to escape the issue. Plus, when somebody asks that and you explain that, then you need to turn around and say, but I just told you about Jesus. What are you gonna do? Because that's really what it's all about, isn't it? Okay? And he says, there's no one righteous. No, not one. No one who understands. There is none, is your first blank there. Whoa, we're cruising now. There is none who seeks uh, for God. Okay? Okay? Uh, there uh, all have turned to, well, wait a second. Nobody does good. This is usually an argument that people would reject what we're talking about, the doctrine of total depravity. Let's say that. I was just hoping for total depravity, but praise God for that audience participation. Yeah, uh, and they'll say, well, I, you mean to tell me that we can't do any good? We can do good. I know of a person who's donated to whatever, blah, blah. Well, first of all, good as meaning merit with God ain't gonna happen, okay? Because even in our so-called good deeds, as man, apart from Christ, okay, uh, only God knows the heart, but did you really truly give that? Or did you, out of genuineness, out of uh, how awesome your heart is, or did you want a plaque? Did you want to, it reported in the news? Did you, as Jesus said, when you pray and when you give your alms in the street, don't be like the guys that announce with the trumpet, hey, here comes Mr. Holy Man, gonna do a great religious deed, okay? And that's what people say. Uh, they say, well, I can do some good stuff. Okay, you like my trumpet, John? Is that pretty good? Tax? Oh, tax, okay. Yeah, and uh, he says, and, and if you uh, uh, do that, he says, uh, it, that's your reward, okay? But when you do it, you need to do it in secret, and your Heavenly Father will reward you, okay? And so even, yes, we can do good things, but ultimately, does that good, does it really, only God knows the heart, is it pure enough to earn merit with God? 
No, and that's not what total depravity says. What it means is we will never do good enough to be able to erase our sins and to be 100% holy like God and therefore acceptable to him, okay? There's no one righteous, no one, no one, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they become useless. There's no one who does good. There's no, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. Their tongues, they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Now stop right there. Throat, tongues, lips, and mouth. Right there. Very short time frame. Four different ways to describe this guy. Now, so how, how do you know if somebody's depraved? Just listen. It comes out, doesn't it? A mouth, unfortunately, is a, a vehicle for that. Uh, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. All and the path of peace they have not known. Why? Because there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, first of all, that statement right there, and that's not the whole passage there, uh, but uh, in chapter 3 that Paul talks about, but, but just that passage there in those few verses, uh, contrast that, Paul's, Paul's uh, statement about humanity, no one righteous, no, not one, no one's good, nobody seeks God, their throat, their tongues, their mouths, their bitterness and cursing, and they're swift to shed blood, destruction and misery, they don't even fear God, okay? Now, contrast that with the uh, uh, learn to be a better you. Self-love, self-esteem. What? How does promoting that get you to this? It doesn't. Okay. So let's, let's continue. Oh, I got I to share this with you. And we've talked about this before, but I wanted to share some passages with you tonight. It says the whole reason why people have the audacity to do this and continue to do this. Okay. He says there is no what of God. Fear. And we've talked about this before. People would say, well, you know, it's, we shouldn't fear God. And, and it's, you know, it, 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 when you see fear in the Bible, it says to fear the Lord. Uh, it means reverence. No. Okay, let me give you a couple examples. Open your Bibles to uh, Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. If you find Obadiah, what do you do? Man, you jump them down. You haven't found that book in 19 years. It's there. It's there. You usually got to go at the beginning of the glossary. Okay, Daniel chapter 6. And uh, let's take a look at what he has to say. Verse 25, grab the context. And uh, says this, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every uh, language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and what? Reverence the God of Daniel. What? Well, if fear always means reverence, why didn't it just say, and you will not, uh, or, and it must reverence and reverence the God of Daniel? Or is it in fact two different things there? If you want a little more, turn to Psalm 22. Hang your left. Psalm 22, verse 23. Here's what the psalmist says. He says, you who what? Fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, what? Honor him, revere him, all you descendants of Israel. So there again, you got in the exact same verse, you got fear, you got honor, and you got revere. If fear always means reverence, and some would even say honor, then why doesn't it say that same thing? 
thing the whole time? And this is the exact same verse. Okay? And I, I draw that as a distinction. We've seen this before because there's this, there's this mentality out there. There's this false gospel out there that you and I are so worthy that God had to come to this planet. No, he didn't. This is what's so amazing about his love. For God so loved the world. Can you believe it? He who is infinitely holy came here. We were his enemies. We were cut off. We were sinners. Uh, we, we were ungodly. And he came and died on the cross for us. Right, what? That's amazing. But when you sit there and say that we are so incredibly stinking worthy that God had to, he had, how does that jive with what we just read in Romans 3? No one righteous, no not, what? what? And it's pop psychology that's coming into there. But see, then you, then you continue, but then what are you gonna do if you're preaching people this false gospel that you're so worthy God had to save you? Okay, and if you're so worthy, where's the lostness in that? If you're so worthy and God loves you, uh, you're, there's no danger Everything's fine. God loves me. Everybody loves me. I love him. You know, wouldn't you too, right? Where, where is the, the gospel in that? And that's what he's talking about. And so what people do is they extrapolate on that and he says, well, it says fear the Lord. Well, wait a second. If God's my cosmic buddy in the sky and he wouldn't hurt a flea and I'm so worthy, he had to save me. That rhymed and I didn't even mean for it. Okay. <laughs> then that can't mean, thank you, that can't mean fear like, oh, because he's my cosmic buddy in the sky, right? And I'm not in danger of anything. He wouldn't hurt a flea. He's the granddaddy in the sky, right? Well, then you got to come up with something. But see, then what do you do with stuff like that? Now, I said all that to get to this. And I feel it fits the context of salvation. We got to make sure, okay, that we're grabbing this right. Because there is something that people really desperately, and we saw this last time, they really do need to fear about God. He has the power to send you straight into hell. And hell is not a good place. And hell is real. And hell's real whether people want to believe in it or not. Okay? It's there. That's scary. People need to know that. That's the, I'm lost, but why? You are headed to hell unless you get rescued. And I can tell you how that can happen. And you can be assured of that today. Hop in this Jeep. His name is Jesus Christ. And let's get out of here. Okay? Case closed. Enjoy the rest of your journey on earth. And you're headed to some place where you never get lost again. Okay? But they have to understand that. Now, let me give you some examples, some benefits, believe it or not. The Bible actually talks about benefits of fearing God. Okay, now again, we saw there's a difference here. I'll, I'll once again delineate it. Okay, as a born-again Christian, I'm not afraid of God's judicial punishment, meaning I might still end up in hell. No, because you can't, because our salvation is secure, right? So I'm not afraid of that. The fear as a born-again Christian is a relational fear, that when I get out of line, because God loves me, he's going to spank me. And if you've ever been spanked by God, uh, <laughs> It hurts, right? And so if you can know that he puts these parameters up and he says, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, that instills some healthy fear in you, doesn't it? Right? The Bible's replete with why we should fear God in that context. Now, if you're not a Christian, you should be afraid, you should be with, with uh, fear and trembling, okay? Because once you go to hell, you ain't getting out. And that's the last place you ever want to be. Horrid place where the worm dieth not, uh, the people are in torment there, in agony. They ain't partying with your buddies. Read the Bible. It's a horrible place, okay? And believe me, let me give you uh, a couple of them. Uh, number one, it causes us to place our trust in God if you fear God, Exodus 14, 31. And when the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. It causes us to be nice to each other. Hey, that's a neat concept. Leviticus 25, 17. Do not take advantage of each other, but fear your God. I am the Lord your God. How many guys realize that God sees everything? 
He not only sees what we do, he sees what we do to each other. And if you know that we get out of line, just like any other Christian gets out of line, because we're all his children, and he doesn't play favorites, he's consistent, he'll spank us. Ah, that's a good fear to have, right? It'll keep us being nice to each other. It causes us to prosper. Deuteronomy 6, 24. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. Uh, it causes us to stay away from idolatry. Joshua 24, 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. It causes us to praise God. First Chronicles 16, 25. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. It causes us to be honest. Second Chronicles 19, 7. Now let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Why? Because you better judge carefully uh, for with the Lord our God, there is no injustice or partiality or bribery. He sees it all. Not only how you treat each other, but if you are cheating, if you are lying, he sees it too. It causes revival, Ezra 10.3. Now let us make a covenant before our God to send away all these women and their children, they were, they were compromising, with the counsel of my Lord and of those who fear the commands of our God. And they got back on track with God, followed his law, revival broke out. It causes us to serve. Psalm 2.11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Is that a reverence thing? I reverence. No. Okay. It caused me to know more about God. Listen to this, Psalm 25. The Lord confides in those who fear him. And he makes his covenant known to them. That's awesome. It causes us to be seen by God. Of course, he's omnipresent, but he pays attention. Listen, Psalm 33.18, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. And on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. It causes us to be delivered. Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. It causes us to be provided for. Psalm 34, 9. Fear the Lord, you his saints, uh, for those who fear him lack nothing. It causes us to be faithful. Psalm 86, 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Here's a guy asking, please, I, make me do it. Okay? Make me have that healthy of fear i don't want to get out of line causes us uh, to experience god's compassion psalm 103 as a father has compassion on his children so the lord has compassion on those who fear him it causes us to be wise psalm 111 fear the lord uh, the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom all who follow his precepts have good understanding it causes us to be blessed it causes us to delight in god causes us to be humble it causes us and our kids to be protect, uh, protected listen proverbs 14 26 he who fears the lord has a secure fortress and for his children it will be a refuge uh, it causes us to avoid evil. It causes us to be safe. It causes us to have a godly character. You ever, you ever get a little loose in your walk with Jesus? You ever kind of start to slide a little bit? Maybe you don't seek him as hard as you do, as you used to, and you're just kind of like on a little vacation, and, and you haven't quite got back, and you, you know it, and you're just kind of muddling around, and what? You know what the problem is? You don't fear God. He's watching it the whole time. And you, you think that he's, oh, he'll... He'll, he'll spank that kid that gets out of line. He'll spank Pastor Billy. But, you know, I got, I got this long rope. Really? The fear of the Lord helps you keep that little rope uh, real short and get back in proper time. And this is what it says. Proverbs 31. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. She was a, a great godly woman. Psalm 31, right? We know that passage, right? She feared the Lord. Produce that godly character. Oh, and it causes the church to grow. Did you know that? 
uh, Acts chapter 9. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. And it grew in numbers, listen, living in the fear of the Lord. I think part of what helped that fear, Acts chapter 5, uh, guess who fell dead on the floor when they lied? Ananias and Sapphira. That's, see, that's the context before you get to chapter 9. Okay. How many guys would say if some people came up here, we didn't know it, okay, but God knows everything, and if they lied, and God decides to discipline them in that fashion, and said, I want to strike you dead. He's got the power of life, right? Job 14, 5 says, God has determined the length of our lives. We're not giving a minute longer. It's up to him, not us. Okay, and he says, you're dumb. Boom, and they literally actually dropped dead on the ground, and we knew why it happened because of a particular sin. How many guys would say that, man, we had the best devotion with Jesus Christ that week? We witnessed to more people than we could shake a stick at. And as far as this loose attitude, woo-wee, that went right out the window. Right? And that's what you see in Acts chapter 9. I think it was still fresh in their minds. Because they, the church grew because of the fear of the Lord. And finally, it caused us to evangelize. Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 5, 11, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we persuade men. This is serious stuff. I'm going to never forget on the East Coast, a guy said, you know what? There is no more important business than the Father's business. There is nothing more important than we can have with a conversation with somebody who is not saved than to tell them about you are lost, you're in danger of hell. Let me tell you how you can be rescued from that demise. Maybe they'll mock at you. Maybe they'll uh, scoff at you. But at least you gave them a fighting chance. At least you knew that because of the fear of the Lord, I'm trying desperately to persuade you. Because whether you want to fear it right now, I fear for you. Because I know where you're headed. And I know what it's like. The Bible tells me about this place. I'm grateful that I'm not going there, praise God. But I don't care what you've done to me. Even your worst enemy, you would never want to go to that place. If you really do a study on what that place is going to be like, okay? And let's continue on. That's what Paul talks about. Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 18, uh, chapters 3. Uh, chapter 3 through 20, makes it clear that the human race is depraved. Okay, your next uh, exciting word, Tom, is depravity. Uh, depravity uh, means that as a result of the fall, Genesis 1 through 3, man was created, life was great. Uh, once again, the first woman ate the first man out of house and home, and uh, Eve was deceived, Adam sinned, and, uh, and because of that, uh, because that ever since then, since we all come from Adam and Eve, right? Okay. Uh, then everyone is, uh, are infected with that. They became infected, if you will, uh, with sin, a sin nature, okay? If you want to, just to break it down, if you want to help to explain to people, sometimes I'll use this as an analogy. It's a disobedience disease, because we understand disease, how disease can be infected, right? We understand that if a person has a disease in their genetic makeup, it can be passed on to the next generation, right? We understand that. You know, but when you say sin, even sin now today is being redefined, that's a problem. It's being rationalized, that's another problem. Okay, it's being accepted. That's a, a horrible problem. But, but sometimes it's so clouded now. They say, well, sin, that's some religious word. You've got to get specific. Well, really what happened when you talk about the fall of man, it's like, oops, ah, and crank, crank. No, that's not what he's talking about. I mean, at that point, you were separate. You, felt you were cut off from God. Okay? And what happened is at that point in time, for the first time in man's history, our early parents, Adam and Eve, they inherited a sin nature, a disobedience disease. That means that you have something inside of you from birth that causes you to be disobedient, okay? 
I mean, I'm just breaking it down, I'm trying to get away from Christianese. So when you explain to our culture that it's three generations removed from Judeo-Christian uh, Christian ethics and understanding, that maybe they can, it'll help you, okay? And uh, disobedient, well, well, what do you mean? I says, well, first of all, God is not disobedient. He's perfect. He's holy, right? And so now you've got a problem, okay? How is he who is holy, okay, going to have a relationship, God, okay, who is holy with man who has this disobedience disease, sin, and right now there's a chasm, we're cut off. Man has fallen from that state. He was over here with the relationship with God and oh, he's over here and separated. How do you get back? Okay, well, first of all, you got to get to the point where they realize that they're lost. But they're not going to realize that they're lost, separated from God, okay, and in danger of hell, okay, until they see this issue, right? That we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, how do you get to there? Well, the disobedience disease, okay? They say, well, I, I'm not a sinner. I'm, you know, this, I'm okay. God loves me. At least I've, you know, not sinned, you know, as much as somebody else or 51% versus 49, you know, all the mathematics that people try to play. But God's standard holy is 100%, not 51% or 99.999%. It's 100%, okay? And uh, so there's proof. You can prove it to people. It's very easy. Okay, and usually what, I'll come back to people, and I actually had a conversation with a guy, a Jewish guy called me up today, and uh, it was just wanting to, you know, we're with the law, and we've got to keep the law, and all this stuff, and anyway, so, but, uh, and, and I asked him the question, I says, could you name the time and place, okay, just, just, if that's what you're saying, can you name the time and place, if we're going to be justified by the law, can you name the time and place, I, I'm just asking for one day, I'm not asking for a week, you just give me the time and place when you kept the law, for one day, all day, 100%. No, answer my question. You give me the time of the day when you were able to keep the law, you lived perfect, okay, for just one day. And just went around and around. So eventually the conversation ended, unfortunately. Um, but that's what we have. If people say, well, I'm not a sinner, I'm not that bad of a person, really, okay, do a test for me. For one day, for one day, determine in your heart that you're not going to do anything bad, anything wrong. Right? Put the test back out to them. Now, I'll guarantee you they're not even going to make it uh, very long, uh, even with the mouth that Paul talked about in Romans chapter 3. That'll get you right there, okay? Let alone in your heart, in your thoughts, in your actions, behavior. We can't, okay? And so then you come back, and the question is, well, wait a second. You know, they say, well, nobody's perfect. Yeah, that's my point. God is. So if you're not perfect, and you just admit it, you're separated from him, you're lost, there's a problem, don't you think? Okay? And, and so they'll come back and say, well, you know, I'm really not that bad, whatever. And they'll say, well, no, there's, there's, uh, you, you have uh, been disobedient, and you can't stop it. Okay, so how in the world are you ever going to make it there? Okay, and they'll say, well, uh, what about uh, uh, kids? And they'll say, no, kids are born with the sin nature. It's a disobedience disease. It was passed on from our early parents. Open your Bibles to Psalm uh, 51. Psalm 51. David says this in the first five verses. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my what? Sin, for I know my transgression. My sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that when you are proved right, uh, you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful when? After I learned it? Or unfortunately, it's not my fault because that's the household I grew up in 
or it's not my fault because I grew up in a rough environment, or it's not my fault because I'm Irish, or I'm whatever, some thing you want to blame. No, you were sinful at what? You were sinful at birth. Okay, it's sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Why? Because the Bible says that the fall of man, we all inherited this disobedience disease that's been passed on to everybody, and since we all come from Adam and Eve, we all got it. Okay? And if you don't believe that we're sinful at birth, another acid test to prove your point there is uh, how many guys taught your kids, okay, from we high, you taught them to defy you and to say no. I didn't teach my kids that, right? Where'd that come from, right? Uh, why is it, and, and how many guys did you teach your kids? Now, Johnny, I know you're only six months old, but before you say the word mommy or daddy, I need to teach you a very important word that you need to understand first, okay? Mine. Repeat after me. Can you say that? Mine, mine, mine. Right? Where'd that come from? Right? I, I, right. It's just because there's a disobedience disease. Surely we were sinful at birth, right? And so that's the problem when you're sharing with these people. And that's what Paul's saying. We've all, we're in a heap of trouble, man. We're lost. God, and so God is holy. We are not. Okay? How do we get out of this mess? Well, that's the good news. We're trying to tell him. I know a way out. His name is Jesus. He's the only one that can get us back to the father okay is what we're going but our, but but if you sit here in this person their lost state and you just say oh you're so worthy oh while you're over here in this lost state let me just tell you how to learn to be a better you and enjoy your lost state best that you can what how's that helping them right ultimately right what it's crazy and then we act like mentioning their dilemma is a bad thing like rescuing the guy from the mountains. That's not, okay? It's extended to all man's nature. We've all become infected with this disobedient disease, with sin. We can't even, as adults, be perfect for one day. That's easy to prove. It happened at birth. That's easy to prove with kids. Anybody knows that? Okay, and that's what he says. Uh, to his entire being and total depravity. Your next two blanks there. Total depravity means that because of that corruption, there is nothing man can do to uh, merit saving favor with God okay and this is the important of the last chapter that we had with the deity of Jesus Christ he's fully human and fully God all at the same time why because if all of mankind is infected with sin this disobedient disease then who of mankind could uninfect us who has the lifeblood if you will that's not infected all of us got it and it doesn't matter who you're born from, what country, whatever. We all come from Adam and Eve, and we all got it. We're all tainted. So all is lost. There is no hope unless somebody outside of mankind would come without sin, take on humanity, Jesus, and give his life so we can get a transfusion, right? And that's just a whole other way. And in fact, that's a story I've shared before. Let me share that again in the context of what we're talking about. Okay, it says this. Can you imagine if you were at a church prayer meeting when somebody runs in from the parking lot yelling, turn on the radio, turn on the radio. And while you listen, you discover that a mystery flu, probably chicken, Tom, uh, sweeping across the country, killing millions of people. And doctors are working around the clock trying to find an antidote, but nothing's working. And just when all hope seemed lost, the news comes out. The code has been broken. A vaccine can be made but it's going to take the blood of somebody who hasn't been infected yet, right? Okay, so everyone's asked to do one simple thing. Go to your local hospital and have your blood taken. Sure enough, you and your family go down with thousands of others to get your blood taken. 
Then all of a sudden, a doctor comes running out of the hospital, screaming, waving a clipboard, yelling a name, and you can't believe your ears. Your son tugs at your jacket and says, Daddy, that's me. And before you know it, they've grabbed your boy while saying, it's okay, your, your son's blood is perfect. We can make the vaccine. And as the word begins to spread across the parking lot, thousands of people erupt with joy. And, but that's when the doctor comes over and he's no longer smiling like the rest. And he says, we had no idea it would be a little child. We weren't prepared. I'm sorry, sir, we're going to need all of his blood. And you stammer and you hesitate as the doctor continues. He says, we're talking about the whole world here, sir. Please sign this consent form. We need it all. And so in numb silence, you do. And then they say, would you like to have a moment with him before we begin? And he says, now, can you imagine walking back into that room with your son on the table saying this to you, daddy, mommy, what's going on? But before you can even answer, the doctor comes back in and says, I'm sorry, we've got to get started. People all over the world are dying. Now, can you imagine, as the parent having to leave, can you imagine walking out while your son is saying to you, daddy, mommy, why are you leaving me and then can you imagine the very next week after it's all over when they're having a ceremony to honor your son's life that some people actually sleep through it some don't even come because they want to go to the lake instead and some folks do come but they got this phony smile just pretending to care he says can you imagine that i mean wouldn't you want to just jump up and scream as the parent my son died for you don't you even care can you imagine that? Folks, that's what Jesus has done for us. That's what God has done. He gave us his son. Oh, Paul, we just read it. Oh, it's, we're doomed. We're headed straight to hell. There's no one righteous. No, not one. This is salvation. We're lost. We're headed to hell. Ah, oh, you should be afraid of that. And, and this, okay, maybe we can work ourselves out of this. Maybe we could jump. Remember that jump? Ooh, I don't care how much you could jump. You ain't making it across the Grand Canyon. Yeah, but what if I rode John's nifty 10-speed bike? You got one? 18-speed bike. Oh, he's going to make it now. No, I don't want to do. I will borrow Tom's car. He's got a big engine in that, right? Yeah, okay, whatever. He plays me. Anyways, you'll never make it. So here it is. You finally realize your dilemma. Oh, my goodness. God is holy. Uh, I am not. I'm doomed. I'm headed. I can't get across this chasm. And no matter what I try to do, I can't make it there. Uh, There's no way to get across. And then all of a sudden, for God so loved the world. Then I sent my son with the pure blood so that you could receive the vaccine. And that all this could be wiped away. You could be made clean, whole, loved by him forever. And that's a horrible thing to tell people? No. That's the most amazing conversation we could ever have with somebody. There's nothing more awesome and rejuvenating than being used of God to lead a soul to Christ where their life literally changes and their eternal destiny does right before your very eyes. And that's what Paul is talking about. Total depravity means that because of that corruption, there is nothing man can do to merit saving favor with God. When Adam fell spiritually in the garden, It plunged the entire human race into sin, okay? Paul makes this clear in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, where he explains original sin, it's your next two blanks there, original sin and its results. Therefore, just as one man, Adam, sin entered the world, here came the disobedient disease, then death came through that, through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin, okay? And you might be thinking, some people say, well, that just ain't fair. That just ain't right. That's just crazy. 
Can you, I, how, why am I being held accountable for something I didn't do? Adam and Eve, they're the ones that blew it. Why do I? If you don't think that's fair, wait till you flip it around and look at it from God's point of view by sending his son Jesus. We'll get to that really next week. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. 
He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.